I'm tired of people thinking I'm some kind of joke. Your dad and I agreed it will be best if you just stop being who you are and doing the things you love. My whole life, all I wanted. I'm afraid we found your son at a polka party. Just to make up new words to a song that already exists. Oh, well, you should do that then. Who my, my little hungry one? Hungry one. Open up a package of my banana. Dude, I've got chills. Every once in a great while, I can spot a talent that I know is the future of music. But first, we gotta find you a stage name. Al Yankovic. It's long, it's hard to pronounce. So I'm just gonna throw this out there. Weird Al Yankovic. I love it. see that he did give weird four stars so was that the was that the bright spot of your weekend yeah probably do you have like a relationship with weird al because this was one that you suggested for us so well first of all it it came up at in in an episode where we were talking about what is coming out in the rest of the year that's even interesting yeah, I know, and then you suggested this. Well, I think the <laughs> fact that this movie even fucking exists is interesting. <laughs> Why like, is that? Well, okay, so, first of all, it is so difficult to get a biopic made for anything that isn't aggressively mainstream. And even the aggressively queen, for example, one of the best-selling rock artists of all time, they still had to, like, make their story conform to all the biopic tropes. Yeah. And also, the way this movie is being distributed is wild. It's fully free. There's so much weird and interesting stuff happening with the fact that this movie exists, how it got made. It was shot in 16 days. Some slashes say 18. <laughs> I'm not surprised by that. <laughs> it's the first movie, original movie, the Roku channel's ever done. It has a huge amount of star power behind it, considering that it is about Weird Al Yankovic. Yes, I have a relationship with Weird Al. I've enjoyed his stuff a lot over the years. I've seen him live whenever I've been offered tickets for free. Oh, wow. Which has how, happened more than once. How was the Weird Al experience live? Oh, he's amazing. He's an incredibly talented musician and like a very interesting person. I'm generally interested in him. But also, I think that I have more of a relationship with the musical biopic films than I do specifically with Weird Al. Okay. So I was very excited to see a deconstruction of that through his eyes. He definitely deconstructed it all right. 
Yeah, I mean, I was not expecting. I was not expecting an actual biopic because he routinely talks about how boring his actual like life and rise was. I wonder if it was really boring though, or if he just can't see the specialness in it. I think he's kind of just like, yeah. I mean, I practiced a lot at the accordion, and my parents were fine with it. And then I got good at it, and they were fine with it. And then I went to Caltech, and they were fine with it. And then I started playing indie indie shows when I had time. And everyone thought, huh. Then the huh went to slightly more, huh. <laughs> Record sales grew organically until I was able to do music full time. The rise of MTV lined up great with my rise. And uh, yeah, yeah, here we are. He doesn't drink. He's a vegan. He has had the same band since the beginning. They've never had any major fights. So he's literally just living his life on the road to success. Pretty much, yeah. The only big problem I've really heard about from him is there's been two. One was there was a miscommunication with Coolio's people. So there was a little bit of friction there for a while, but apparently they had a good long meeting and buried the hatchet. Yeah. And then he got kind of tired of the record company he was at not releasing any of his songs as singles. So by the time the albums came out, the songs he had made that were parodies, the time had passed. Yeah. So now he just releases singles when he wants to because he can do that. When I saw him in New Hampshire earlier this year, he was talking about his favorite place to get like vegan ice cream in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And he was really (laughs) excited to go get that vegan ice cream. Hilarious. So this guy just selling, he just a guy selling 12 million records. Yeah. Just, Just a dude. It really seems that way. He asks every artist for permission. He has a couple of songs that he wrote but will never release out of respect for their art, the artist saying no. He just <laughs> he just seems like a really nice, talented dude who happened to, like, strike at the exact right time to get that peak cultural relevance, you know? And isn't it good when dudes can just be successful and not problematic? Can we have more of that, please? Yeah, but also, like, could you imagine how boring that movie would be? I mean, so I was actually thinking about that watching this because a part of me has grown up on the biopic, grown up on the the section where someone is on a cocaine bender and they're completely broke and they have to make the song to get their career and life back in order. And Hey, at least par- it didn't do that. It got close, but it didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, it did not do that. And a part of me was wondering, is it? That he's just a dude, or does he just not think his life is cool? I kind of want to see the the real Weird Al story, even if it's quasi-boring. I don't know. I would be interested in that, but that's also not the movie I would want Weird Al to make. And that's the other thing, too. Like, when I was watching like, it, I had the thought that this is the movie that he absolutely would want to make. Yeah, so Greg is not a particularly big Weird Al fan. I don't think he's even really a fan of his at all. But as a fan of movies and a guy who has watched a ton, he really enjoyed all of the little, like, in-jokes and allusions and, like, parodies, in some cases, of parodies that were happening. Yeah. And I think that, for him, really landed. Because he was like, not only is Weird Al showing that he knows how to make parodies of music— he is making parodies of the industry-wide tropes that exist in this space. Yeah. And that I really liked, including the, I'm sure you're wondering how I got here, like I'm a little ahead of myself kind of opening. Yeah. Was like yeah. very 
very funny to me, but I know you didn't love it, and that's fine. I'm not here to try to change your mind. I'm just going to try to highlight some of the stuff that I thought really worked. Yeah, go for it. I thought the performances were all really good. Everyone at everyone, everyone in this movie is magnetic, and I mean everyone. I could not take my eyes off of Conan O'Brien as Andy Warhol. <laughs> yeah, I almost missed that for the first, like, when I first glanced at him. But yeah, that shit was silly. Yeah, it was silly, but also, like, he was like, this is my chance to win an Emmy again. I'm taking Like, it's so, <laughs> no one needed to try this hard. Everyone could have mailed it in. They wouldn't even have to phone it in. They could mail it in. And we all would be like, that was probably good. Roku would make enough money. No one would be upset. Yeah. But I really want to just give it up for Evan, Evan Rachel Wood. Daniel Radcliffe was doing amazing things the whole time. To steal every scene that he is in is an insane talent. <laughs> and she is killing it. I don't understand why this movie was so anti-Madonna, but I'm, I'm here for it in a weird way. Um, I had questions about that, too. Like, the very first question I had about this movie was, why is Madonna such a villain? <laughs> like, she's, like, so such a villain. My understanding is that she did sign off on it. Well, I would assume so. I would assume that she was a good sport about it. And she's probably going to get the Yankovic bump from this again. Like, <laughs> I, I'm not I'm not even being an asshole about it. I bet people are going to go back and revisit her catalog for the first time in a long time because of how much of a character she is in this movie. Yeah. I was really just taken with all the performances. I thought it was great. I love Daniel Radcliffe making weird movie choices because he knows if he lends his name to a project, it will probably get made. Yeah. I'm so here for that. <laughs> Would it be surprising that this is the, this is the first beginning-to-end movie of his that I've seen? I'm kind of surprised you didn't go for some of his other weird artsy ones. Like the Nazi one? No. <laughs> that was the first one I thought of. That's why I threw it out there. <laughs> no, I, it kind of surprises me a little that you haven't seen like the man, uh, the woman in black or uh, Guns Akimbo or whatever. I've seen the first Harry Potter. I never finished it, though. Because... Yeah, I mean, those don't really strike me as your type of movie. Yeah, but because I am on the Lord of the Rings now, maybe. You never know. I... I think we should probably, as a culture, just start fa phasing those movies out because J.K. Rowling's a bad person who doesn't deserve our money. But Touché. as someone who also loves the books and enjoyed them very much growing up and like they do mean a lot to me, even though I do not support the author at this time. If you want to pirate them, that would be a fun journey for you. And I'd be happy to kind of help support <laughs> you in that. Hilarious. I have seen Trainwreck. He was in Trainwreck. I've seen yeah. Trainwreck, so. So when I was 13 years old, I saw him on Broadway and How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. Oh, wow. How was that? And he's fine in Harry Potter, but he really shines in other roles. Okay. Like, I think I think everyone of the Harry Potter generation fully just took him for granted as serviceable Harry Potter. <laughs> okay. But when I saw him on Broadway, like the magnetism, it's it's the first thing I noticed. All right. Okay. And he seems to have really, in this film especially, surrounded himself with another fully magnetic cast. And the pull of the movie, just from the cast alone, is really strong. I don't like Rain Wilson particularly. I don't have any strong like relationship with him. 
he was decent in the office, I guess. I used to run an office trivia company, but I've never seen an episode of The Office. Hilarious. But he has this like weird sage quality and this zaniness, but also this just underlying desperation. Yeah. And I'm like, what the hell is going on over there? Like, where's my movie about whatever the fuck this is? Hilarious. But every character that wanders in, even for a minute, I'm like, what? what's your deal? And that's kind of a special thing, especially in a comedy, for you to kind of wonder about everyone's like whole deal, I think, anyway. So I, I know you alluded to that I didn't have the most positive feelings about this movie. If you were to ask me, do I think this is a bad movie, I would say no. I think it's a very specific funny or die kind of comedy. And depending on your kind of mileage with that, you would either enjoy it. I saw that on Rotten Tomatoes, this has an 85%. And so to me, that actually makes sense, even though I gave it a significantly lower rating than Mm -hmm. what that would indicate, because you have to go out of your way to watch this. And the only people that would go out of the way to watch this would be people who are fans of Funny or Die or who are fans of... uh, Except... That's a little skewed because it has played at multiple film festivals now. And yes. quite a lot of... Yeah, it fucking meddled at TIFF. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. Let me see. Eight million bucks to film in 16, 18 days. That's... Damn, that sounds so expensive, but... This is a low-budget indie mil- film, though, with that budget. Yeah. And also, like, not trying to be that person. Why does Dr. Demento's third eye in the LSD scene look better than Dr. Strange's at the end of Multiverse of Madness? <laughs> well, I, I've never seen Dr. Strange. I'll take your word for it. But I feel like even though the the shooting was rushed, probably the production afterwards was not. The shooting was rushed, sure. But look at the performances that were able to be turned in despite that. The entire The Doors sequence. <laughs> yeah, I, so, okay, I, I gave it two stars, but I do recognize what it succeeded at. And when it did flip that Doors piece in the concert, I was like, okay, that was impressive. So, yeah, so that that part was very impressive. I would definitely say that. But it's also very interesting because you you mentioned it's very specific, funny or die. I have maybe liked two funny or die things. Ever? Yeah. I mean, have have they done a lot of funny things lately? I mean, (laughs) I don't think they have. And you know I have pretty high standards of comedy generally. And I think I just appreciated so very much that it was deconstructing so many of the things i think i'm on record of saying i don't like in biopics are you have i not ever given my my whole biopic spiel on here i feel like i must have you've done the music movie rubric uh i totally fucked up oh yeah no the the biopics don't count in that let's talk about a little bit more so what is your history or with biopics and why did why do you think they Sucks so much. Okay, so as as a young person who grew up loving music and wanting to get to know music and like the people who made it, biopics are kind of an intuitive fit for me, right? Okay. So probably around, gosh, fourteen or fifteen, noticed that apparently every person who ever made good music had pretty much the same life story. Yeah. At least according to the movies, 
And that's always really bugged me. And I think it's really frustrating because, for example, with Bohemian Rhapsody, I know a lot about Queen and, and the, the life of Queen and the story of Queen. And so the fact that they figured out a way to cram that into pre-existing boxes doesn't land for me. I think Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, does a really nice job of deconstructing that. Yeah. They deconstruct it and then they're like, da-da, which is fair and very funny. But I appreciated that this deconstructed it and then also tried to add some stuff, which I think further reinforces a lot of the absurdity of everyone has the same life story. Everybody has a checkered history with drugs and alcohol. Everybody has the corrupting influence partner who is just using them for that bump. Everybody has their A Star is Born moment. I appreciate that they tried to draw some attention to the absurdity of that. Yeah. Well, also making a... a very funny connected series of vignettes basically yeah i think for the last 22 years virtually all by bio, music biopics have been propaganda in some way so well, like especially of, um, walk the line like once that got all that oscar attention what do yeah. you do after that you realize oh this is what the people love this is what they want this is what they care about yeah, and actually Ray the year before that, too. Yeah. So it's a one-two punch of that, so. Yes, and I think about this all the time. All the time. Freddie Mercury was not a gay man. Freddie Mercury was a pansexual. The term did not exist at the time, but he was a queer individual. He was not just into men. Okay. And Bohemian Rhapsody has a compulsive need to put him in a box that isn't even his right box. Okay. Why? What does that add? Nothing. It adds fucking nothing. All it does is makes it easier for him to fit in those other prescribed boxes. Are we going to trust cis people to discuss queerness? I mean... (laughs) Cat is very stressed. (laughs) But no, I know why you are. I I don't know. Are we going to trust Brian Singer to discuss queerness? How (laughs) Cat, you're so funny. (laughs) So, so, no, I, I know your point. And I fully agree with it. I, I'm not. But if they couldn't wedge him in that box, then they couldn't. It would be harder to then push him down the road of he got hooked on drugs because he was gay. He had to wait for his band to let him back in with open arms because he was gay. He got AIDS because he was gay. They are incapable of the nuance that actually exists in the world that would have made the movie interesting. Yeah. And as someone who loves Queen and like, I mean, I love Queen. I was just so excited that like young people know about Queen now. That movie was huge. People talk about the thing I've loved since I was a kid. Not to be that bitch, but I was right, motherfuckers. They're good. Hilarious. <laughs> but somehow in a movie that should be a celebration of queerness and creativity and collaboration and growth turns into Freddie leaves the band to go fuck on gay island all the time (laughs) that's the story they wanted to tell and then he's like on drugs and gets aids and then all the nice straight people welcome him back with open arms because straight people are very welcoming cat but also like that is the story that biopics have to tell There has to be that moment where they go where the other members cannot follow. Mm -hmm. And they have to be then welcomed back with open arms. 
And then they have to tell them a huge traumatic experience, and it usually ends with their death. Yeah. Or at the very least, they're, like, maiming, crippling, whatever. I do appreciate that they were just like, and then Weird Al was assassinated, the end, good night. Yeah. I think the biopic that really put me over the edge of not fucking with biopics was straight out of Compton. Because it was literally that with Ice Cube and Dr. Dre propaganda. And then at the end, Easy e dies. And then at the very end, Dr. Dre, he magically comes up with a name for his record label. Like, magically out of nowhere. It was bad. It was so fucking bad, man. Yeah. This one has a moment with that where it's like, I'm John Deacon of Queen. Wait, let me find the exact thing I wrote last night because I was proud of this comment. And I quote, John Deacon getting laughed at by a room full of people who didn't know who he was 30 seconds prior feels very right and authentic. I think this may be one of your favorite movies of 2022, Kat. I don't know that it has a lot of rewatchability for me. That's surprising. That is surprising. I think it does. But I also think that I am aware of it in a way of like, and we'll definitely talk about this a little more next weekend, not in the same way, but in a similar way where like, this is going to be a movie that's going to be fun to show your friends for the first time. This is going to be Streets of Fire or Flash Gordon where I get to walk through it and go, and then they do this. And this is really interesting because of this, or look at this compared to the comic book art or whatever. Yeah. Like that to me seems really fun. I also thought that they were just deciding that Michael Jackson didn't exist. And that was like, Uh, that shit was funny. I thought that was going to be the strategy. And I was so here for that being the strategy because like how, I don't know how else you really like handle that. I mean, they handled it actually in a great way. I I agree. But initially I was like, ah, yeah, Michael Jackson doesn't exist. (laughs) Kind of cool, actually. Hilarious. I think this may have been one of my favorite movie-watching experiences of the year. Okay. But I don't know that it is my favorite movie of the year. I also just want to shout out my friends Dave and Ethan. They also have a podcast. It is really good, but they are in this movie. Shit, where? And they are also thanked in the credits. They are the guys in the bar, like the two guys, the tall, skinny guy with the beard and the wider guy. They keep cutting to them in the crowd. That's Dave and Ethan. Oh, shout out to them. Gonna just shout out their podcast real quick, which is uh, Dave and Ethan's 2000 Inch Weird Al podcast. I mentioned on it a couple of times because I keep running into them at things. <laughs> Hilarious. And That's now we're funny. friends. I'm trying to get on the show. So if you want me to be on the show, tell them that I should be on the show. Hilarious. Because I would like to talk about Weird Al's appearance in the 2015-ish ABC comedy Gallivant which is a musical comedy that Weird Al has a recurring cameo appearance in. And they haven't found anyone that likes Gallivant, but I do. So <laughs> let me so, add it. Um, so we're using the pod to shoot the shot now? I mean, I've already shot the shot, and they were like, if enough people want it. So this is me mobilizing our audience of like nine to try to. Hilarious. Hey, what's up, everybody? WWE Hall of Famer, The Godfather here. Special shout-out to B-Hyphen and Handsome Bane for the WrestleCast Power Hour, and it's available everywhere, podcasts or streams. So everybody, check them out. You know The Godfather will, and it's time once again for everybody at the Hyphen Podcast Group 
to come aboard the whole train. Smell your latest sweaty marks. How do you feel? Fun. Who do we want to hear? Malcolm. Are we going to bring them on? Radio. Yes, we're going to bring them on. Well, let us hear from our minister, Minister Malcolm X. Let us bring them on with a round of applause. Brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you that I charge the white man. I charge the white man with being the greatest murderer on earth. I charge the white man with being the greatest kidnapper on earth. There is no place in this world that that man can go and say he created peace and harmony. Everywhere he's gone, he's created havoc. Everywhere he's gone, he's created destruction. So I charge him. I charge him with being the greatest kidnapper on this earth. I charge him with being the greatest murderer on this earth. I charge him with being the greatest robber and enslaver on this earth. I charge the white man with being the greatest swine eater on this earth. The greatest junkard on this earth. He can't deny the charges. You can't deny the charges. We're the living proof of those charges. You and I are the proof. You're not an American. You are the victim of America. You didn't have a choice coming over here. He didn't say, black man, black woman, come on over and help me build America. He said, nigga, get down in the bottom of that boat and I'm taking you over there to help me build America. Being born here does not make you an American. I'm not an American, you're not an American. You're one of the 22 million black people who are the victims of America. You and I, we've never seen any democracy. We ain't seen no democracy in the, the cotton fields of Georgia. There wasn't no democracy down there. We didn't see any democracy on the streets of Harlem, in the streets of Brooklyn, in the streets of Detroit, in Chicago. Ain't no democracy down there. No, we've never seen democracy. All we've seen is hypocrisy. We don't see any American dream. We've experienced only the American nightmare. Well, before we get out of here, speaking of biopics, when we actually release this, it's the 30th anniversary of Malcolm X. Yo, 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 slight correction. It wasn't today. It wasn't November 11th, 1992. It was November 18th, 1992, the 30th anniversary of Malcolm X. Back to the show. That is probably the the antithesis of the music biopic in this century. Well, uh, it's it's not a music one. Well, yeah, for yeah, starters. Not, yeah, but you know what I mean, cat. <laughs> but no, like that that is an example of how you should do a biopic. Not Malcolm X goes on the road, then he becomes an addict, and then he has to sing for his life at the end in the last ten minutes. Oh, yeah, speaking of music biopics and people putting shit out there, The Weeknd is having an HBO show, which is going to be terrible, but I'm very curious to see what he actually does I am actually, I don't think it's going to be terrible. I don't know if I've told you about my recent, like, weekend thing that I did. What is your weekend thing? Because I'm very curious now. Well, so he had a house at Halloween Horror Nights at okay. Universal. And it is entirely walking through the iconography of After Hours. 
Okay. And it's about seven minutes, six, six minutes long walking through. And I saw with clarity the vision that he has through that album in a way that I never had before, even from the music videos. First of all, it was beautiful and terrifying, but he clearly has some top-down thought happening about fame, and his awareness of where he exists in that machine is really interesting. Yeah, so I think the best things about Weekend really is his visual language, his continual building this mythos of what his character is each album to album and where he kind of is navigating his career because I don't know if he'll be a good actor. So he's going to act on the show apparently. So that is what I think is going to be very interesting in a bad way. But I think visually, I think the storytelling of it will still probably be pretty good. But yeah, the, but him reading HBO lines. One thing I will say, and I know this is not the same necessarily, but I do think it's kind of cool, is apparently he would show up in the house sometimes. Oh, really? He would be the spooky weekend, which I think is pretty cool and shows like a flexibility and a willingness to kind of laugh at himself that could serve him very well in that sort of environment. Yeah. Additionally, I just think that he made perhaps the best piece of art about body dysmorphia that I have ever seen. And it was a walkthrough haunted house at Universal (laughs) Studios. And I think his top-down ideas that we're talking about for fame, like, I think he's been wrestling with that idea and that concept since roughly, I would say, 2012-ish. Yeah. Because even the whole thing of the, um, that bad S&M movie, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, when he made the song for that, there's literally no way anyone would have guessed that would have been like the most important, biggest song in America of that year. Yeah. And but also like even the Super Bowl performance, I remember being yeah. like, the other thing I will just say is that he paid out of pocket to pay a, and transport a ton of Super Bowl performers from theme parks who had been laid off and made sure that they got union rate and also paid them for rehearsal time. Yeah. Which and if, Doesn't seem like a huge deal, but also during the pandemic, and there were hundreds of them, credit where it's due. And the NFL does not pay for any of that shit. No. And his record label did not pay for any of it either. Yeah. He was very public about that. And I appreciate him going like, how many people can I hire with this? How many jobs can I make? How much life can I do? Uh, He also hired a bunch of uh, theme park like scenic designer and directors to uh, make those set pieces that he used which I think is probably how he wound up getting the in with Universal, if I were a betting woman. But as someone who has also struggled with body stuff, I never thought that a haunted house would, like, make me cry with understanding and, like, just feeling seen. Like, even Bride of Frankenstein Lives, I was like, yes, queen, get it. But I was not, oh, she gets me. Yeah. And I walked out of an experience where a bunch of men in red suits were jumping out at me and going, bleh! And I nearly got hit by a fake train and, you know, was being beset upon by slutty nurses. And yet somehow I left that feeling like the most seen and understood that I ever have with like a piece of art. Yeah. Which is kind of bananas. 
I will also say my favorite thing actually was we got to walk through the uh, like express lane because we paid for the line hopper and we had to walk by the break tent for that house and uh, they happened to have it open just a little bit. So you just got to see like 90 the weekends having their lunch. That's funny. And so uh, shout out to the 90 the weekends having their lunch. I hope it was good and fulfilling. Hilarious. I think Abel's career is super interesting. And it's so funny. I think I love the fact that we're kind of viewing it from both sides. I'm, I'm viewing it from a fan guy who loved his music since he was on Tumblr and no one knew if The Weeknd was a person or a band. But on your end, you're actually seeing like him reaching kind of his maximum fame, but actually channeling that into real art. Yeah. One of the things that I've always found very interesting about him is a lot of his music samples music I like. Yeah. Blinding Lights samples the fucking Rod Stewart song. sampling a lot of stuff I like but I don't really connect with the music and then I saw the music videos and I was like this is cool but I don't really connect with it and then in in having to compact the storyline to the central most part in six minutes where it's really a story about someone becoming so disconnected from their body that even though they've done everything that they were told to do they don't feel better they feel like they look like a frog man they have become a monster yeah and there's the maze with like the mirror maze with all of the, the hymns in it. But then it ends with him alone in a room with just like a slowly flickering strobe. And he looks normal. Yeah. And the idea that this whole journey has been, if not in his head, at least about what's in his head was just like, fuck, man. The Halloween Michael Myers house was really great, but it really didn't make me think. <laughs> Hilarious. The black phone maze I thought was fantastic. All the iconography was beautiful. The 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 kind of touches, it was very thoughtful. All the Ethan Hawks were great. They had a couple actors playing the kids who were fantastic. There was a great sequence of I think it was supposed to be the little sister, but it was very dark. Like that was the point. In the raincoat screaming because she can hear Finney screaming in her head. Okay. And it was super impactful and beautiful and well done. But, like, I didn't leave that one thinking anything either. (laughs) You also have to appreciate how difficult it is to have a ton of people jumping out at you and strobes going and music blaring. That house was so loud. I could feel my nails shaking in my hand. To still, like, leave and be like, huh, really makes you think. Yeah. I was looking to see if there was, like, an official release date. Uh, there is none. It got pushed back a couple of times. And Haish was actually supposed to be on the show. So I don't, I don't even know if they filmed her and that would even make the show now. So. Who is that? Anne Haish. 
I feel like I would recognize her face, but I can't pull it off the top of my head. She dated Ellen, and she recently died a couple of weeks ago. Okay, it is who I thought it was. Okay, cool. You know that's so... That's, that's, that kind of sucks if someone asks you about someone, and then the first thing is because who they dated, and then the second thing, their demise. Um, I... I and hey, she was she was an okay actress. Uh, she did the remake of Psycho, mm-hmm. and she was in a couple of '90s movies that were decent. Um, but uh, I got nothing. Huh? <laughs> I tried to say it, I couldn't fucking say it. Jesus Christ! I think it's really special to see, like again, just how much story you can fit in three minutes. Which also, just gonna say real quick, if you are not like Malcolm X quality, then you don't have to be that long. Hilarious. Oh, I did like her in Walking and Talking. Walking and Talking is from 1996 is an indie film. I watched that this year. Was it this year or last year? Last year. No, it's good. One of the first things you see in the Weekend House, and this effect is so cool, and I'm still trying to figure out exactly how they do it is uh, the weekend comes up behind a stripper and slits her throat. Nice. Or like a go-go dancer. And she's wearing a little dress, and then she moves her head just so, and she has like a large open wound. (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) That that is a haunted house for you. you Yeah, but like, how do you hide that? I got that budget. I think the best thing that the weekend probably... Of his career, I would say, even though it was that period where he wanted to be Michael Jackson, which that was a weird kind of three months. But I think he at least kind of took the idea of you can kind of be grandiose with your ideas. You don't need to be limited by anything where you're doing storytelling, whether it's in song, in videos or from album to album. And I think his first trilogy mixtape really kind of did that but he didn't really have like the visuals like he had he didn't really have like big budget videos to kind of support it but soon as the 50 shades of gray song blew up he became vastly wealthy and could then fund his ideas i appreciate the fact that he wants to invest in his ideas about him yeah he is not in my opinion if you like it or hate it rested on his laurels particularly yeah it seems like he's always trying to make new content, iconography, music. It's all for something. Yeah. FM Dawn, he had fucking Jim Carrey narrating it. So, like, I don't know, man. Don't come for me if you aren't going to tell a story. Like, if you're... It, give me something to work with. Hilarious. Hilarious. Don't worry, Cal. We get you on... We get you on them pills and the cocaine so you can go back to enjoy his music. I mean, I think, honestly, I'm much more inspired to re-listen to his stuff now i don't know if you would get into his music i don't think i'm the demographic and i think that's fine regrettably not a sad boy yeah but i do think that it has given me a lot of appreciation for the after hours album which i definitely like better now and i get that a lot of people seem to be under the impression that that's his like sellout era um, but if you can pack that much shit into your sellout era, fine. I personally like Beauty and the Madness as far as like his commercial releases. I think Starboy is kind of the first 
well he's just going for the pop tart charts at that point and the early mixtapes i think those you probably wouldn't get into because i think the early mixtapes is really about a lot of it is really just about cocaine molly and and inspo models so and, and sad boy stuff as well my dear melancholy which is kind of an ep they put out a couple of years ago i really love that but again that is i mean the title melancholy like that that is real sad boy shit maybe give that a try but i don't know how you do you listen to sad boy music though no i paid enough sad boy energy on my own despite despite not being a sad boy If you've enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, rate us 5 stars, leave a review and tell a friend to tell a friend. Follow Kat, at Kat, underscore, Chinetti, on Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Follow Marcus, at Madlove, S-H-O-W-I-N-M-A-D-L-O-V, on Twitter and Letterboxd. Follow the show on Twitter at Kat and Mark. This podcast is executive produced by Kellen Conley and Eric Greenlee. Thanks for listening. We should do this again sometime. This is a hyphen podcast production. Are you not entertained?